Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Welcome to Upfront with Glenn Murray and me, Sam Matterface. This is the show that takes you into the world of the centre forward, the number nine, as we find out what it takes to be a top flight striker. And here comes Glenn Murray. He sends McCarthy the wrong way and gives Brighton a precious early lead. We'll discuss the sacrifices they had to make, the moves that didn't quite work out and the pressure of being a striker. It's Glenn Murray in front of the Bournemouth fans. He scores the goal, which surely will yield them all three points. And the feeling of when the ball hits the back of the net. You're listening to Upfront with Glenn Murray and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. My guest today is, at the time of recording, still playing in the Premier League and planning on keeping doing so until at least, I think, his 39th year, if I read the contract properly. Um, He, to date, has scored 111 goals in 271 games over two spells with Brighton, winning League One, being a runner-up in the Championship, plus winning League Two with Carlisle. A striker that story takes us from working on a building site whilst playing in non-league Uh, to seven years in the Premier League and probably the only player who can say that he is a hero at both Brighton and Crystal Palace. It's got to be Glenn Murray. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, What keeps you going? The goals, the fans or just the love of the game? I think a little bit of everything and I think... To be perfectly honest, it's it's where I was raised and uh, and sort of my upbringing. Uh, I've just got a a determination that I just can't seem to shake. Were you always a centre forward? Did you always have that drive, that determination to be that that number nine? Yes, always enjoyed scoring goals. That's pretty much the only thing I enjoyed on a football pitch. I I did get sort of shunned to left back at one point in my uh, in my schoolboy year at Carlisle United which obviously didn't end very well um, and yeah always been a striker since. Um, what is your definition of a striker a centre forward? Well, it depends what your attributes are I suppose but I think the main thing is you, you need to to add goals to your game and be, and be a focal point for your for your team going forward. What do you think you are? What type of forward do you think you've been? An okay one. <laughs> Been in the Premier um, League for seven years is more than okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just just what I said there. I I work to to my attributes, so I, I try and hold the ball up for my team and, and and get the team further up the field and 
and sort of when when I get time, I, I lay it off to my wingers, and and then my next job is is to get in the box and try and get on the end of crosses and, and score goals. Have you changed over the years? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I suppose I have. I've adapted the the way I I go about things these days, but. Unfortunately, I've never had much speed, um, so I, I can't adapt my game too much. Um, I've just tried to work with what I've got and, and do the best I can with that. And how important is movement and timing and reading of the game, and do you get better at that with experience? Yeah, definitely. The, lo- the longer you stay in the game, the, the, the more understanding you have and, and the better your movement is and the, the more... Um, I just think the more confident you are, really, in general, of your movements, you're not um, questioning yourself. And as strikers do, we go on um, sort of goalless runs. And and as a younger striker, you can you can get really sort of snowed under with it and worried. And but it's about just continuing to do the same things that got you got you in the in that position in the first place and, and sort of still getting across your defender over and over again. And eventually, that ball will drop and and one will go in and then. Hopefully the floodgates will open. He's overturned it. He's only got to give it the goal. Oliver's given the goal. Glenn Murray scored again. Has VAR changed your game? I think it's changed everyone's. In what way have you had to adapt? I just think there's less of the clever professional fouls, uh, little nudges, tugs, um, sort of that you would you would give your opponents uh, out out of the eye of the referee and and um, and linesman. So yeah, and obviously then the offside offside thing. I mean, it, it was always the striker's advantage to the striker to to score a goal. So if 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 it was a a really tight questionable decision, then your goal would stand. But now obviously if it's onside or offside, so we're seeing that a lot more goals are chalked off for for very marginal decisions. You currently wear number seventeen on the back of your shirt. Did you ever have a fight over wearing the number nine shirt? Was it ever important to you? Does a number mean anything to you? The number means a lot to me, yeah. 17 means a lot to me. Nine's never meant anything to me. And I've never never felt the need to try and get a number nine or a number 10 shirt, whatever, uh, at any at any level. Um, hasn't interested me. Um, if anything, I think if you walk into a club and demand, demand to be number nine, then you put an extra pressure on your shoulders, um, needless pressure. For me, 17, I, I got I got given 17. I think it was at Rochdale. I think I started with number 17. And then it's just been really good to me ever since. So wherever I've gone, my first question is, can I have number 17? And <laughs> it's usually a yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else has usually got it. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we talked earlier about you playing on until you're going to be late into your 30s. Um, have you got um, more aware of what you should be eating and how much of a role did Bruno play in that? So, yeah, obviously played with Bruno. I think it was his 38th and 39th year. And I think at the time I was about 30, 35, 36, and it was it was really good to be in the same changing room as him, um, as as a role model and someone to look up to. Even even at my old age then of, of thirty six, <laughs> it was good to have somebody else to look up to, to see how he was continuing to to keep his fitness up and his diet and and uh, and remain playing at such a high level for so long. Uh, so so that was a that was a real blessing actually. Okay, let's warm you up with a couple of quick fire questions and get a sense of who Glenn Murray is. Um, what's your favourite goal? One away at QPR 
um, in the championship winning season for Brighton. Over the top is Murray. He's onside. He's through one on one with the keeper. Glenn Murray scores for the Albion. How important could that goal be for the Seagulls on their path to the Premier League? What was your most important goal? My most important goal was probably breaking the deadlock on the afternoon that we got promoted against Wigan. Right, they've got an excellent chance and they've opened the scoring. It was across to the right-hand side. Glenn Murray converted. What a dream start for Chris Hewton's side as they seek back-to-back victories and take an almighty step towards the Premier League. What was the weirdest goal you've ever scored? <laughs> the weirdest goal I've ever scored was in the FA Cup. It was one or two years ago away at West Bromwich Albion. I got substituted on by Chris Hewton, our then manager, and managed to score with a part of my body that I've never scored with before. (laughs) (laughs) Should I just leave the rest to the imagination? You can do, yeah. (laughs) Um, Don't tell me it's this part of your body, but who's your favourite strike partner? Do you know what? I've I've been lucky to have a a lot of good strike partners that that I've enjoyed playing with. Sam Baldock, Alpha Lafondra, uh, linked up really well. Mm. I, I always try to be as adaptable as possible to, to the, the person I'm playing with to, to try and forge that relationship and, and sort of and try and make it not one way, try and make it a, a two way street. Whereas my first thought is to look for him and, and hopefully his, his first thought is to look for me. And, and then I think you can forge really good partnerships. But. Um, you say strikers, but I, I had a really good partnership with, with two wingers at Crystal Palace in Yannick Balassi and Wilfred Zaha. Just in a turning hit, Yannick Balassi. Murray waiting in the centre. What a start for Crystal Palace. Wilfred Zaha. Murray! You're a big Manchester United fan. And who was your childhood hero? Eric Cantona. Well, it's just teed up for Cantona. Oh! A real cracker from Cantona. Everything about him, just his aura. Just uh, the way he could change a game in in, in sort of in a second. Uh, he could look as though he wasn't interested for the whole afternoon, and then just just turn on a bit of magic and just sort of light the stadium up. Uh, and it, it, whether whether it be a great goal or whether it be an amazing pass, he just he just seemed. Obviously, Manchester United were the, were the best team uh, in the Premier League back then, and and he just seemed even a level above all his teammates. What manager got the best out of you? Which manager got the best out of me? Wow, you, you're hitting some really uh, difficult questions here. Um, Chris Hewton, Chris Hewton got I did really well under Chris Hewton. Scored a lot of goals for Brighton. My second stint under Chris Gus Poyer, my first stint. He learned. I learned a lot from Gus. He sort of um, he brought a, a new way of playing football into into what was then League One. A very a very successful spell for Brighton. And then my other manager that got a lot out of me was probably Dougie Freeman, uh, a former striker himself at Crystal Palace. Because mm, he, t- he took you there, didn't he? He identified that you were available. He thought you were exactly what they needed at the time. And, and, and he was the one who sort of instigated that move for you. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then obviously we spent quite a lot of afternoons working on finishing and and him telling where I was going wrong and, and where I could do better and where, and where he felt as though I should be sort of running. But it was just sort of like his little tips on the training field that, that just like real simple things, even for a striker, but just to be reminded of that as a professional was really refreshing. Uh, which defender was your toughest opponent? Yeah, I had a few tough defenders. Obviously, the pairing of Ferdinand and Vidic was... Uh, 
So that was pretty tough. They were okay, <laughs> weren't they? <laughs> um, John Terry read the game brilliantly. And then I think the, the current one that, that's outstanding is Virgil van Dijk. But his shot smacks into the face of field. Might run through to Murray. Does run through to Murray. No coming back now. He's arrowed it past the goalkeeper and into the net. An excellent finish. He has come off the bench to score two goals for Brighton and Hove Albion tonight. Some strikers were plucked and identified at an early age as a top-level pro in the making. Uh, went to academies or to uh, special finishing school. You, you were different and your route to the top was different. Uh, in a, a sense, a little more interesting as well. You you were playing for Workington Reds, and, and then then what happened? How did you end up in North Carolina? <laughs> well, firstly, I went right through the schoolboy um, the schoolboy years with Carlisle United, and at fifteen, I was told that I wasn't going to get my YTS. So then I just went out and just played some amateur football in in my hometown of Maryport, and uh, played for a team called Netherhall. And funnily enough, the, the coach there, James Irvin, his brother David Irvin, who played for Everton back in the 70s, uh, was out in America coaching a team called uh, Wilmington Hammerheads in North Carolina. And he, he just said, do you fancy going out for a two-weeks trial, see how it goes, and if it goes well, uh, spend the season out there. Um, and yeah, it was a no-brainer for me at that time. I, I had I had what was quite a steady job in a factory, uh, and I used, I used to go around the factory grounds and things and I'd hear old guys in their 50s and 60s be like oh I've been here for like 40 years and stuff and I was like that is just that sounds like hell to me and I just <laughs> I didn't want that to be me that that isn't what I wanted to do so I thought you know what I'm going to take this opportunity I'm going to get on a plane I'm going to go to America and, and see what happens what sort of factory was it it was a factory that made plastic stickers wow I can, yeah, understand what, I can understand why you didn't want to be there for 40 <laughs> or 50 years. <laughs> um, when you came back from uh, the United States, you came back to England, you ended up playing for Barrow. You started really well there, seven in seven. Were you? Did you have a, a job at the same time as doing that? So the story goes, I went out to America for three years. Uh, in, I used to go sort of from about March time until September, October. And then I used to come back and I used to play for working and Reds at the time which was, I think, Unibon Prem or Unibon First. Um, and then I would go back out to America. I, w- I would never finish or start the season for Workington. Um, and whilst doing that, I was a plasterer. And then in my last last year in America, lo and behold, Sunderland came out on a pre-season tour, uh, a Premier League Sunderland, actually, with Mick McCarthy in charge. And yeah, played really well against them in the... In the um, in their preseason game, and then luckily enough, I got picked for a, a very American term, an all-star league team to play Sunderland, <laughs> and I played well again. And Mick McCarthy just invited me back on trial, came back to Sunderland, spent about six, eight weeks at Sunderland, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, Mick pulls me in his office, and he's like, listen, it's 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 not for us. You're not for us. Uh, is there anyone you want me to call? And I say, yeah. Could you call Paul Simpson at Carlisle, please? That that would be that would be amazing if you could do that. He's like, yeah, no problem at all. I played with Paul at Barnsley. I'll give him a call, and uh, I'm sure he'll be in touch. So I go home, get back on the on the tools, on the plastering, sort of fall out of love with football a little bit. Um, not training, not playing. The phone hasn't rang, so I'm a bit down in the dumps at the minute. Uh, feeling sorry for myself. And six weeks later, the phone rings. 
Carlisle United, can you come in for a reserve game tomorrow? So I'm like, I'll be there. What time? Put the phone down. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't done anything for six weeks. What am I going to do? <laughs> so I go through the next day. Uh, I do okay. Luckily, I take my opportunity. I get a goal. Paul Simpson invites me to go um, training with them. Uh, I train for about four weeks and and unfortunately the gaffer, Paul Simpson, hadn't made his mind up. Uh, so he said, listen, Glenn, I know you're coming through to Carlisle every day. You're not getting paid. You're not picking any money up. How about you go down to Barrow with Lee Turnbull and uh, and play some play some games, pick up some money, but keep coming in here and training every day. I was like, perfect. Yeah, let's do that. So this goes on for another six or seven weeks. And then finally, Paul Simpson says, yeah, we, we're going to sign you. And, and that was that was my big break. And that was it then, because you were in pro football and you've never looked back since. But when that eventually did happen, what was the feeling like? Just amazement because I was I was stood in the Warwick Road end at Carlisle, watching Carlisle get relegated from the, from the second division, uh, from League Two. And... Yeah, to, to to sort of have a be told no by them at sixteen and and then be back there. I think it was at nineteen or twenty. It was just like such a crazy situation to be in. Just but I just realised that that was my opportunity and I was willing to give it everything. Um, and I mean, I could have never imagined for it to turn out how it has. And do you think that your life away from the game and your circuitous route back to it? actually held you in good stead going forward as you went up the pyramid? Yeah, it has. I think at every level I've been questioned. Um, and I mean every level, and I mean that down to sort of the uni bond. <laughs> the uni, what, what was the uni bond then? Um, so yeah, I, I feel as though it, it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but it's also been very rewarding. And it's been great to prove a lot of people, a lot of managers, a lot of, a lot of fans and, and, uh, and players wrong. You did well at Carlisle United. Rochdale came and got you in 2006. 21 goals in 42 league games there. Why did it click so well? Just had a manager that believed in me, Keith Hill. Steve Parkin actually took me there and then unfortunately Steve got uh, got dismissed and, and, uh, and Keith Hill took over. Luckily for me, Keith Hill was the one that scouted me for Rochdale. Uh, so... He had a little bit more time for me, let's say, and just just joined a, a, a manager that believed in me and and, and a club that was um, that was on the up at the time. Uh, Keith Hill was in charge, along with Dave Flickcroft, and they were just really motivated and really enthusiastic to to make the club better and the players in the club better, and and they did that for me, and I just thrived in that environment. Did you sort of look back at that period when you were got to Rochdale? Did you think? Did you ever envisage? when you look back now, that you would end up being a Premier League striker? Never. I think even sort of in my late 20s, I sort of sat down with my wife and my parents and things. And obviously it comes up in conversation. And I always felt as though no one would have bought me in the Premier League. I had to be promoted into the Premier League. And at that time, I just couldn't see it happening. Well, when Brighton came calling, they were a club in a very different shape to what they're in now. The Whitdean was its home. The Premier League seemed still quite a way away. What attracted you to them? Just a, a, another step up, uh, another club that believed in me uh, and another chance to, to prove my worth at a higher level. Did it seem to fit straight away? Uh, on the pitch, yes. Off the pitch, no. It, it was a, a huge change. Even though I'd been out to America uh, and lived in America as a young lad, uh, it was still quite a quite difficult moving 
from the north to, down to the south. I mean, from Carlisle to um, to Brighton is literally as far as you can get in, in England. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just, just a big change, really. Um, but luckily, on the pitch, started really well, started scoring goals. I think I got nine in my first half season. And uh, and then really lost my way a little bit, I think. Uh, sort of 25, 26. Got really lazy. Felt as though I should be at that level. Possibly, I think, looking back now, I'm, I'm, I'm big enough to admit that it was a bit of arrogance maybe crept in. And I, I wasn't working as hard as I should have on my game. And I really feel as though I had a year or two I had a couple of injuries as well, which which didn't help the situation. Um, but I had a year or two of of really losing my way. Still to come on up front with Glenn Murray, he tells us why he left Brighton and joined none other than their arch rivals. You look yeah. at the distance between the two clubs, and you're like, it can't it can't be that bad. But I soon found out as soon as I put pen to paper. I soon found out, and then I found out even more so early on in that season when Crystal Palace came down to Brighton. You're listening to Upfront with Glenn Murray and Sam Matterface on TalkSport. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. He scores the goal, which surely will yield them all three points. It will be a massive three points for Bournemouth. Cook sent it goalwards and then two yards out. Glenn Murray came on off the bench to provide the finishing touch. You mentioned that you thought you got a little bit lazy, a little bit arrogant, um, and you didn't really have a well over 18 months you to a year or whatever you didn't have the best spell but in those four seasons you scored 57 goals in 136 games when was this spell because in the last two seasons you appear to be flying 
so yeah when when Gus Poirier took over that's really when um I kick-started up again started working harder on my game and things it was so I had I had a hernia operation that really lingered I went out to Germany and got my hernias done it didn't quite work um the club were telling me that, that that that's all they could do and that was the right thing to do. But then I needed to go back under the knife up in Leicester, um, which which helped. And so so that period in between those two injuries was a really frustrating period because I had the experts telling me it's right. And I knew deep down I wasn't right and uh, I couldn't get what I wanted out of myself. So I was really frustrated. But yeah, what, once I got over those troubles and sort of the club was in a bit of a situation where we was chopping, changing managers a little bit. We we lost our way under under a few managers. Russell Slade took over at one point, and we didn't do very well in League One. In fact, I think we were down near the the relegation zone. And then obviously Gus Gus took over, and he didn't even he didn't only change sort of my outlook and, and my fortunes. He changed the club's fortunes, and I, I think he was the sort of the founder of the club we find today. How did he do that? Because I've met him, I've worked with him on a professional basis, and he's quite infectious, isn't he? Was was he like that uh, as a manager? And was it great attention to detail, or or was it just drive that dragged you all into you know the same direction? A, a little bit of everything. Uh, obviously, he's he's a hundred miles an hour, so he's he's getting his point over to you. He's enthusiastic, and then he just brought a different type of football. So I think Swansea was sort of doing it around that time in the championship, like keeping the ball and things, and and he brought that to us in in League One, and it it wasn't really heard of in League One at that time. Um, and, and we played a, a, a sort of a different formation. We were like, we had Liam Brigcutt sitting uh, just in front of of, of the, uh, he was like a defensive midfielder. Again, not something that you found in League One much at, the, at that time. And and yeah, he, he just worked with us and we we worked on ourselves and and whoever we came up against, he, he wasn't afraid to, to sort of put our philosophy on, on, on them. And it just worked. And sort of when you get that momentum, it just, it's difficult to stop. And, some games you, you you maybe shouldn't have won, but that momentum just carries you through, and you get that win, and and then it just it's a snowball effect, and and yeah, it, it ended up in, in us winning the league. Bennett goes for glory. Oh, this time it is it. What a fitting way to take the League One title. Elliot Bennett, one of the players of the season, fires the seagulls to victory here at Walsall. Walsall one, Brighton and Hove Albion three. That seals the title. Is that the highlight of that spell, getting getting that job done? Yeah, definitely. And I think it came at the right time as well because during that season we'd been going round what is now the Amex, uh, the stadium being built. So, so we would go out round there as a, as a squad and we'd see sort of the stadium we were going to be playing in next year and, and how amazing it was going to be, especially compared to... to the Our current one, yeah, the Withdean. <laughs> I mean, it's just... I mean, people don't realise this. This was a community sports centre. This was just like a local athletics track. And and yeah. the club, when they were homeless, just bolting on a couple of porter cabins. There was a few sort of temporary stands put up that were miles yeah. away. It was in, it was a terrible viewing angle from wherever you were. It really was just a local sports ground, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, but do you know what? It was ours and we, we, we tried to make it home as much as possible. The people I felt the most sorry for was the away fans. <laughs> they may as well sat on the beach. <laughs> they were so far away. I think I think there was a long jump. Uh, there was a long jump sandpit and there was a, um, a netting in front of them from the shot put. So it was like the worst. It was the worst view ever. But 
yeah, it was uh, it was our home and, and we dealt with it. And the complete opposite to the Amex now, where people want to come and play at the Amex because yeah. it's so beautiful. No one wanted to come and play at the Withdean, so so we had an upper hand right away. In 2011, you you decide to move on. You're on a free transfer. Your contract was up. Um, why did you decide to do that? And why of all the places did you go to Crystal Palace? I mean, could you have gone anywhere else? Did you not know the fierceness of the rivalry? Or, 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 as, or as a centre-forward with that great self-belief, did you just think, oh, I can overcome that, I, could, I, can, I can get away with this? Yeah, so I mean, first and foremost, I wanted to, to play at the Championship. Um, I felt as though I'd, I'd um, been successful in League One. I felt as though it was the right time for my career. I, I was sort of 26, 27 at the time, and I felt as though... That, that was the right time to step into the championship. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be with Brighton. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I decided to go and join the arch rivals Crystal Palace, which, uh, <laughs> b- believe it or not, we hadn't come across Crystal Palace in my first three and a half years at the club. So you didn't realise it was as bad as everyone made out? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd heard that they, they were rivals, but, I mean, as far as... A, a northern boys concerned you look yeah. at the distance between the two clubs and you're like it can't it can't be that bad but yeah I soon found out as soon as I put pen to paper I soon found out and then I found out even more so early on in that season when Crystal Palace came down to Brighton Glenn Murray I said they wouldn't be cheering him if he scored later on today able to turn it in from about two yards out did you have any problems with scoring that goal or celebrating it afterwards no problem scoring the goal. Uh, that's that's what like like I've said many times. That's what I enjoy doing. That's every time I go on the pitch. That's what I want to do. Uh, I was delighted to score against them, but I didn't celebrate because I I felt felt as though it was uh, it it just it just didn't sit right. I still lived in the city. My children were at school in the city, um, and I didn't I didn't hate the club or anything like that. I, I I was I was fond of the club and I was fond of the players. I still had a lot of teammates and and friends at the club, so. Yeah, I, I, I just decided not to celebrate. Later in your Palace career, you scored in a win over Brighton that actually put Palace on top of the table. I mean, what, what was going on here? I mean, it seems like this entwined history between Brighton Palace and Glenn Murray is almost its own narrative. Best header from Tompkins, allows Murray in. Murray scored! Former Palace player, Glenn Murray, punishes the Eagles. And Glenn Murray leisurely strolls up, right-footed, in, off the underside of the crossbar and into the back of the net. A pinpoint perfect penalty, no celebration. But for the third game in a row against Palace, Glenn Murray has found the back of the net. Headers by Hunamar towards the back post, smuggled in at the far post by Glenn Murray, who knew exactly where it was going to drop. A corner delivered towards the edge of the six-yard area, headed back by Hunemeyer, and then right on the line, Glenn Murray, the former Palace player, was there. Halfway through it, which I snapped my ACL against Brighton as well. <laughs> In a semi-final of a playoff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it just whenever you come up against an old club, uh, not that you've got a uh, well, I suppose you have, yeah. I suppose you've got a point to prove. Uh, they, they let you go. You want to prove them wrong, that they shouldn't have let you go and that you were good enough to stay. And I think, yeah, if if out of any games you want to score, it's, it's against your old clubs. And and yeah, it, it seems to get the best out of me. Yeah, it still does, doesn't it? Because you, you currently keep scoring against Crystal Palace, which is great for the Brighton now. Um, you did get that injury, which curtailed the end of your pa- Palace career, actually, and it meant that you ended up missing their big day out of Wembley in 2013. And we've said that it was sustained against Brighton. Did you know as soon as it happened that it was this was this was it this the season was over? 
Yeah, I did. I did. The pain was excruciating. I mean, I've 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 got I've got friends and teammates that that tell me when they've done their ACL, it, it didn't hurt at all. But but mine was like the worst pain I've ever felt in the football pitch. And um, and I can actually remember the game was live on Sky, and um, I'm I'm sort of shouting in pain, I'm screaming in pain, and I'm thinking, stop screaming because the camera's going to pan to you here, and you're going to look like a right wimp. <laughs> <laughs> but I just couldn't stop shouting, and and to, to, I think the first two people over to me were Wayne Bridge and, and Matthew Upson, and they were just like, just just relax, relax. The coming, the help's coming, and yeah, as the, the, I mean, the pain didn't subside for for the next hour or so, it, like excruciating, and then yeah, I just knew right away that 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 was the season done, and unfortunately, I think that was it for ten months. Um, you did get quite a lot of big goals for Crystal Palace, including at Old Trafford in a in, in a League Cup game. Is that sort of one of those standout moments for you in your time at Crystal Palace? Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the standout moments. Scoring up at Old Trafford, obviously it wasn't a full-strength Manchester United team being the League Cup, uh, but it was a, it was an amazing victory for for a Championship side to go Old Trafford and and, and beat and beat Manchester United. Um, I think probably my, my best moment at Crystal Palace was scoring in, I think it was two one. Uh, a game against Manchester City uh, at Sellers Park uh, one night under the lights. Um, I got one and Jason Punchin got one. Uh, that that was a really good night. Levy heads on to Dan! And they have scored! The referee looked to the assistant. The flag stayed down. Murray has given Palace the lead. Another setback for the champions as they bid to retain the title. And that was when you'd come back after being out on loan again after your problems with the 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 ACL coming back after you went to, to to Reading didn't you scored eight goals I think in 18 league games there but when you came back did you did you think hold on I'm going to settle back at, at Palace again because you signed a new contract didn't you I can just remember I, I, came, I came back from my ACL I played a few games under Tony Pulis um, never quite felt the same and I felt as though I needed to go out and play games and get um, kicked about and and sort of land on my knee and and try and try and try and rediscover my form and to see if I could still score goals when you haven't done it for so long. Uh, obviously, I think I came back into the Crystal Palace team um, in about February and I scored one goal to the end of the season, a bit part player. Um, so I needed to go out and see if I'd lost it uh, and I needed to rediscover that touch and. And Reading gave me that opportunity, and I fully expected to to move on from Crystal Palace at that stage. Um, I spoke to Neil Warnock, who was in charge, and and he said, "Listen, Glenn, you're you're sort of fifth of five strikers. Uh, I'm happy for you to hang around and uh, sort of try and prove me wrong or get into the get into the team. But I also understand if you want to go." And I was like, "Brilliant!" I said, "I'll, I'll leave then. I'll, I'll go. I'll go down to Reading, just because." I, I just I've got no t- time to waste. I don't think I think professional football career is so short, and and to sit around sort of waiting for an opportunity, I'd rather just go and play play games and and try and score goals elsewhere. And then yeah, obviously in in my time away, Neil Warnock was sacked, and and uh, and Alan Pardew got brought in, and Alan Pardew took to me and, and gave me an opportunity. I went back, and yeah, it, it it went well for for the second half of the season there. Um, it did. 
and then off to Bournemouth in 2015. Yeah, I can't have done that well. <laughs> <laughs> it was like six months back. You'd, I think, you, you, yeah, Alan Pardew had taken to you, as you said, but then very quickly you were you were off down <laughs> down south again. Um, yeah. What happened there? What Was that just because they'd come in for you and they fancied you or because they'd, I think they had a three million quid bid rejected before eventually the deal was done? Yeah, I mean, just basically... Crystal Palace accepted an offer and I think when a club accepts an offer for you uh, obviously you you can't sit and you can see your contract out but I think your time's up to be honest and and like I said I, I don't want to hang around don't want to be a dead weight around the place I, I want to go and, tr- and try and try and play games and and Bournemouth gave me that that next step step that next opportunity and uh, listen it, it wasn't it wasn't the right move for me in hindsight but but I wanted to take it and and yeah Went down there, signed Freddie Howe, and it started off really well, and then just didn't end so well, really. Was it clash of personalities, tactical differences, or or, or what? Uh, I think it was a lot of little factors, to be honest. Uh, I was travelling in from Brighton every day. Um, it's a long journey. Yeah, it took its toll on me. Um, and then, yeah, maybe just didn't see eye to eye at, at some point with with Eddie uh, the gaffer. I did actually learn a hell of a lot down at Bournemouth. Um, learned a lot from Eddie Howe. And I think that I took that into the next step at Brighton. But the Brighton step was really, really important because I think I was 32, 33 at the time. And sort of I've had one move that didn't work. And that's almost, even though you're playing every day and you're still a professional footballer, when people stop seeing your name on a regular basis, and especially when your age starts with a three, then it's it's a problem. You're falling out of the game almost. So that next step, that next move was so important to get right because if I'd moved somewhere and it hadn't gone right for another year, that I think that would have been be almost finished in football. Um, so I, I needed that next move to be right and and I did my homework. I watched a lot of Brighton, uh, obviously them being my old club and me still living in the city. Um, and I just felt as though that move was just perfect with the with them going so close to getting promoted to the Premier League the year before. And I, I saw the team, I saw the wingers, I saw the balls they put into the box. And I just thought that team is, is set up for me to do well in. And, and again, I could, could never have dreamt of it going so well. So did you make the approach to them or did they make the approach to you? Is that How does it work? So you, you sit there and you think to yourself, right, I need to make sure, as a, as a professional player, I need to make sure whatever happens next, it goes well. So do you say to your agent, look, I need to make sure that my next move is ace and I reckon this club, this club and this club, can you make one of those happen? So no, obviously me, me and my agent talk and, and he talks to everyone pretty much <laughs> um that's his job isn't it um and yeah i mean i said again uh, and another thing sorry was um i was living in the city i was i was getting older the right club for me was the club on my doorstep scalic with a free kick floats it in towards the back post up there goes heme it's a good header back post it's in and it's murray glenn murray Back at the Amex, back with the Albion, and back in the goals. The Seagulls lead by two goals to nil. Celebration for him. What a moment in front of the North Stand. Applause, quite rightly. 
The club had changed by the time you got back again, hadn't it? Just, uh, just a little bit. <laughs> now on a club heading towards the Premier League, a brand new stadium. They'd bedded in there as well. Did it feel different when you when you went back? Yeah, it was like signing for a club with the same badge, but a completely different club. It was incredible. Was it like I mean, one they... of those scenes from Back to the Future where uh, <laughs> Marty McFly wakes up in an alternate 1985? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I left. I left. I was playing at the Withdean with the running track rounds and the fans sitting on the beach and then go to the Amex. What is it? 25,000, uh, a beautiful design stadium. And then the training ground I left, we were training at um, Falmer University, uh, Sussex University, sharing changing rooms. In fact, we couldn't all fit into one changing room. There was three different changing rooms that all the boys had to to get changed in. Uh, students walking through uh, whenever they wanted as it was their, their campus. And then I, I walk into the uh, the new training ground which is just state of the art and just an, an amazing place to go to work every day so yeah it was it was like joining a different club 23 goals a season that sent you to the premier league again big games last minute thriller against birmingham hat trick against norwich what what are your specific memories from your contribution to that season so obviously i i feel as though at that point rejoining brighton was the most pressure i'd ever had as 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 a player uh, really? Yeah, because I'd obviously left the club to go to their arch rivals, uh, so the fans weren't particularly fond of me, even though I'd scored a lot of goals for them in the past. Um, I think a lot of them felt after my stint at Bournemouth that I was probably past my best. Um, so there was quite a few, let's say, negative outlooks. So I knew I had to turn the whole stadium to to like me again, let's say like me as a player, like me as a person. Um and that started brilliantly without my first home game at the Amex against Nottingham Forest on Friday night in the Championship. Bordock did the really unselfish thing and squared it for Glenn Murray to get his second. Two for Murray on his home debut, three for Brighton. Fans thinking we're top of the league. Very, very impressive. Brighton three, Forest nil. Managed to get two goals and, and, and really never looked back. Not specifically at this time, but what also were the challenges do you think you faced in, in, in making the step up between the Championship and the Premier League? And, and after going back into the Championship with Brighton and then getting promoted again, did you find it easier to make the adjustment the second time around? I think I knew what the Premier League was about at that stage in my career. Um, I think that for... Whenever I've stepped up a division, I've normally taken a little bit of time to sort of get to used to it, um, to understand the the step up in physicality and, and, and tactics and things like that. And I felt as though stepping into the Premier League with Brighton that I was one of the few in the dressing room that had been there and I needed to try and lead by example along with others like Steve Sidwell. Glenn Murray was stretched off in the game at Newcastle last week. But he was fit enough to continue and Brighton will be thankful for that because their top scorer has notched again and it's his 100th goal for Brighton and Hove Albion. What did it mean for you to get to 100 goals? And what did it mean that because it was a solitary goal when you scored against Wolverhampton Wanderers in October, um, did it it sort of have a greater significance for you? Were you even aware of it? Yeah, I was aware of it, but it, it, it didn't really mean anything to me because it's sort of not about the now it's about continuing and, and obviously it's really boring and it's, it's really cliche I mean it is like goal by goal week by week and that's what got me to the 100 but 
I wanted to surpass the 100 and get over the 100 as quickly quickly as possible because so much was made about it. I didn't want to get stuck on it. But no, I think the 100th goal I was really happy with. Um, I think me and Bruno set a record for that goal, being the oldest um, combination <laughs> for a Premier League goal. Um, and... Yeah, it was it was it was a nice finish, and it got us. I think it got us three points, and yeah, I think I was just happy to get my hundred and first than than my hundredth. I, I wanted that off my back. Murray, oh, he's found the corner. What a finish from Glenn Murray to give Albion the lead. Muted celebrations for his one hundredth league goal for the Albion. You got another hundred as well, didn't you? On the 9th of March two thousand nineteen, you scored your hundredth league goal for the Seagulls. Uh, funnily enough, it was against. Uh, I'm guessing Christopher <laughs> <laughs> in a two-one away victory, and uh, okay. and funnily enough, that meant that Brighton won the the double over Crystal Palace that season, which also sort of helped reintegrate you into the hearts of the the Brighton supporters. I think you were already there by then, but again, it just seems to just keep cropping up. Why does that fixture bring so much out in you? Uh, I I really don't know. I've I've got. Uh... For someone who didn't uh, understand the rivalry 100% yeah, when yeah, you made the move, yeah. I'm, you, I'm, I take it you understand it now. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I understand it from both sides. I do now. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I enjoyed playing for both clubs. I, I've, I've had my best moments in my career at both clubs and, and that fixture just, I think, brings the best out of me because I'd like to think that both sets of fans like me. Well, they do, don't they? And that's an odd position for someone to and, be in, really. Yeah, and I, I want whoever's let me go. I want them to miss me, <laughs> <laughs> and I obviously want to keep my my, my supporters happy as well. I I, I want to sort of I, I want to score goals and 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 win games, whoever it may be. But against against your former clubs, it's it's that that little bit sweeter. New manager, new methods. Do you always have to constantly evolve? Yeah, I think you do. I mean, the, the I mean. Obviously, we've got a new manager, Graham Potter, in, and we've changed our philosophy as a football club. And and this is the way that that our chairman Tony Bloom sees us getting into the the top ten of the Premier League, which is which is uh, he's came out and said is is the is the aim to to try and get there. Um, and yeah, you've you've got to adapt. You you've got to to change yourself sometimes. And I think I wouldn't be still playing at. at my age if if I hadn't adapted and changed I mean I've seen such such a huge change in the game in itself what have you specifically done since the new manager has come in to change your game to catch his eye to get your way into the team so it, it's something that we we sat down about and we we spoke about uh very early on in in, in his uh in his his takeover at Brighton and um obviously I'd I'd as soon as you get a new manager, you you have a look at what, what what his philosophy is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, whatever. And yeah, I I, I couldn't see myself fitting in, so I, I I brought that up with him. I spoke to him about that, and um, he just said, "Glenn, like I don't want you to change. I want you to be you. Uh, you're a proven goal scorer. Uh, I want you to stay sharp. I want you to stay ready. And and if I choose to use you, then I'll choose to use you, and 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 hopefully you can get me goals. And and that that was the understanding, and I was happy with that. And yeah, so far so good. Are you focused on getting the 124 goal mark at Brighton, which would take you beyond Tommy Cook as the record goal scorer? Is that something that sort of plays on your mind? I know you said the hundred wasn't necessarily a massive thing, but you were only the second man to ever do that. Um, is that on your mind? No, not really. Um, it would be absolutely amazing to get it. It would. It would be. 
it'd be I think more than anything it'd be something to look back on when I when I decide to hang my boots up but for now it's it's about the next goal and the next after that and and if if it gets 124 great if it doesn't well so be it okay at the end of these interviews we've been doing a sort of test for our uh, center forwards we call it the perfect hat trick three questions about how well you know yourself um, and and to be honest with you, you ruined one of my questions already uh, because I was going to ask you um, what was significant about the assist for your hundredth goal for Brighton, but you've already told me. Uh, oh, okay. So that's one I've got one so far. No, I'm changing the question now. Uh, so instead, I'll ask you this question first of all: um, Whose big day did you ruin on the 16th of May 2015? I haven't got a clue who's DI ruined. Okay, it was you. You took you had a penalty save, but scored the rebound. Oh yes, I know now. Glenn Murray just come back off of a loan spell with Reading, saved by Mignolet, tucked in the rebound, pushes it home in front of the Anfield Road stand. He gets a little bit lucky, and it's Liverpool one, Crystal Palace three, and Steven Gerrard's Anfield career is ending in defeat. Steven Gerrard, his last game for Liverpool. <laughs> yes, you were in the Palace team, uh, which yeah. beat them by three goals to one. Um, yeah. And do, and do you know what? After that game. Our, our bus couldn't get near the stadium. So we had to walk about half a mile from the stadium. And uh, and the Liverpool fans were great, actually. Even though we'd just beaten them, they were, they were really good. They are all sort of slapping us on the back and saying, well done, lads, you deserved it today and stuff. So, yeah, it was a, a bit of a different uh, exit from a stadium. <laughs> um, who was in goal the night that you scored an extra time winner for Crystal Palace at Old Trafford for Manchester United? Who was in goal for Manchester United that night? Do you remember? Was it Amos? It was. It was Ben Amos. Nice, well done. Yes. And finally, the first goal of your second spell at Brighton came against Nottingham Forest. You scored two that night. But what was the final score? We scored three. I'm not sure if it was nil or one. I'm going to go 3-1. Brighton three, Forest nil. That was 3-0. You're right ah. the first time. Should have gone with your instinct. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it has been sensational to talk to you. Thank you very much for giving me your time and uh, contributing to the program. I really do hope you get the 124 because your you, 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 your contribution to Brighton deserves it. Even if you're not focused on it, I'm sure we'll all be waiting and counting them off until you get them. So good luck to you. Uh, you've had a brilliant career, and it's great to talk and be educated through it. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. You've been listening to Upfront with Glenn Murray. And if you missed any of the show or just want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the TalkSport Game Day feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.